A public defender named Samantha Clark recounts a time that she was assigned as a public defender to someone in juvenile court. And though they had uh, entered a plea of not guilty, she was assigned a young teenager who was being charged with burglary. As I said, the plea was not guilty, but as Clark recounts the story, uh, she didn't have much hope. They were hoping for the best. They put in the not guilty plea, but she felt like it was a long shot. According to her story, the proceedings began when the judge asked everyone present at the hearing to stand to their feet and identify two things. Number one, tell their name for the court reporter and tell their role as it pertains to this case. First guy stands up, Louis Rauch, deputy prosecutor, sits down. Linda Jones, probation officer. And they move to the defense. The one telling the story stands, the public defender. Samantha Clark, I'm the public defender. And there's the teenager. Stands up. Uh, I'm John. I'm the one that stole the truck. That story didn't bode well for poor John. But isn't there something refreshing? I mean, isn't there something like refreshingly uh, uh, honest, almost innocent about that? Like to somebody to just tell the truth. Let me ask you, in 2021, do we need somebody to just like tell the truth? Or what? In the midst of fake news and spin and bias and these crazy conspiracy theories and you got he said and she said and this and is it satire and where did you read that and I passed it on social media you just need somebody like John look I, I know this could be a long proceeding I took the truck right somebody to just say the truth and do you know what is so powerful in the when the facts are disputed and it doesn't have to be a court of law it could be the court of Coleman you know what I heard? You know what I heard? You know what I heard? I was in the Red Lobster that's coming. <laughs> and here's what they told me, right? You know what you need in the court of public opinion or in the court of law? You know what you need when the facts are in dispute? Was it this or was it this? You know what you need? You need an eyewitness. Oh, y'all, the power of an eyewitness. I was there. This is what I saw. This is what I heard. I was there. I can say the, the, the power of an eyewitness in a courtroom setting, right? If you want an open and shut case, it comes down to that eyewitness. Now, full disclosure, you need to know everything I know about legal proceedings comes from Matlock. So that's it. That's the extent of my court knowledge. But it seems to me that there's a pivotal scene in these trials when th there's an eyewitness and there's all this disputed evidence, but at the end of the day, when it says, can, can you identify that person? Yes. Are they in the courtroom? Yes. There they are, right? Dun, dun, dun. And that's it. And somehow Matlock gets the person off, you know, the, 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 off the, the, the stand and, they, and he's got the seersucker suit and there's other parts. Anyway, the power of an eyewitness. Now, eyewitnesses have over history, eyewitnesses have whistleblowers, right? They have brought down kings and tyrants and terrorists. Eyewitnesses throughout history have 
saved lives, have they not? There are innocent people who are on trial for their life, and they got free. Why? Because of an eyewitness who wasn't afraid to tell the truth about what they'd seen and heard. There is a courtroom scene in one of the most glorious passages in the Bible. And I want you to meet me there. Isaiah chapter 43. We'll start in verse 8. Turn to Isaiah 43 verse 8. And I'll give you a little context of where we are in Isaiah. This is the part of Isaiah written. Isaiah is an ancient prophet, right? He is writing to encourage the exiles. Now who are the exiles? The exiles are the children of Israel who are not living in their home. Their home is Jerusalem, a thousand miles away. They're living in pagan Babylon, and they're there. They've been brought there because they've been in rebellion against God. They've been blind to what the Lord said. They've been hardening their hearts. It's like they're blind and deaf. And here they are among all the pagan gods of Babylon. And it's an incredible scene. It's like a courtroom scene, and it's like Yahweh, the God of Israel, has allowed himself to be put on trial. God claims he alone is God. And the pagan nations say, no, that's not true. See, the surrounding nations are saying, look, look, Yahweh, I mean, Yahweh's fine. I got nothing against the God of the Israelites, but he's no better or worse than any other gods. He's one God among many. God's saying, that's not true. All right, well, let's have a little courtroom scene. Let's, 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 let's settle this, all right? Verse 8, we're going to start. The Lord's going to call his witnesses first. Bring them out. Bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, what? Yes, that's right. The Lord is going to call Israel as his witnesses. Bring them out. They're blind even though they have eyes, and they're deaf even though they have ears. So, so that's who you want as your eyewitnesses. Yep. So, 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 so just to be clear, a witness is someone who testifies to what they've seen and heard, and your witness is blind and deaf. You sure? God's like, yep. Those are my people. Bring them out. That's Israel. Oh, okay, Lord. The courtroom is packed. All the nations, verse 9, gather together, and the peoples assemble. And here's the million-dollar question. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Well, that's a complex sentence, but what's he saying? As God of Israel, I predicted something in the past that came true here and now. You saw me do it in the book of Isaiah. Question, can any of the pagan gods say they did that? Hmm? If they can, let them bring their witnesses to prove them right. Let them hear and say it is true. Go ahead, bring a witness. Did any of you pagan gods declare something back then that happened here and now? Anyone? Anyone? Going, going once? No? Okay. Well, the fact that Israel is still here, the fact that Israel is still a people, there's my evidence. Look how he says it, verse 10. You, Israel, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. And why did God choose them? That you may know and believe and understand that I am he, that, that, that I am. No other God is like me, and that by, by finding me, you can find life in my life. He says, before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. See, apparently the facts about God are in dispute among the nations. People are saying, well, maybe, maybe Yahweh's good, but maybe he's no better. Maybe Baal's the real God. Maybe Marduk or or, or the, the, God, you know, the God of the Babylonians, Moloch, maybe these uh, pagan gods. God says, no, verse 11, I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. 
Well, now that's an exclusive statement. That seems pretty narrow to say that there's no way to get saved, there's no way to heaven except through the God of the Bible. How are you going to back that up, Lord? How are you going to how are you going to defend that kind of talk? I declared and saved and proclaimed. I told you what I was going to do, then I did it. When there was no strange God among you. These are massive claims. How can you back that up? Where's your proof, Yahweh? What do you, what, where, how, where's your evidence? And what does he say? You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. It's you, Israel. You're my proof. He doesn't say... I want you to go out and do witnessing, Israel, among your pagan neighbors in Babylon. He's saying to the children, you are my witnesses. You are my proof. You. you." He's not saying, okay, I need you to go out tomorrow. I need you to go out onto the streets of Babylon, find a Babylonian pagan, and bang bang him over the head with your Torah scroll, right? You know, that somehow you need to, you need to somehow force your beliefs down. No, 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 no. What's he saying? He's saying, your lives are to be such that when the pagans around you say, you know, Yahweh can't really deliver, God can't really save, you can say, well, let me tell you what I've seen and heard. You are my witnesses. When, when they say, the Lord can't really save, people of Israel, would you like to comment? Oh, but you don't know what I've seen and what I've heard Yahweh God do. In fact, let's get specific. When the pagans of Babylon were to say, you know, the real king is King Nebuchadnezzar. And I don't care what kind of faith you have in your God, if the real king says you better worship his gods, you better worship his gods, because the real king Nebuchadnezzar has real power. And if, if Nebuchadnezzar gets you in trouble, no one can save you from his hand. What can God say? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, would you like to comment? Hmm? God calls to the stand, Shad, Mish, and Abed, get up there. Now tell the court what you've seen and heard, because it seems people say he can't deliver. And they walk up there with not even a smell of smoke on their clothes. Oh, I can tell you he can deliver. Or fast forward later in their exile when the the king of the Medes, Darius, Darius has great power. And I know you want to follow God, and I I know you want to be faithful, but you better get in line. Because if Darius makes a rule, he can throw you in a pit of lions, and no one can deliver you. God says, the court calls Daniel. To the stand. Daniel walks up, who should have been breakfast for a lion, but turns out he is not. And by him being there, he can testify that my God can close the mouth of the lion. That's the issue in this passage. When Assyria or Babylon or whoever says Yahweh is lying, the Lord is not real, he can say, you are my witnesses. I know you feel inadequate. You may be blind and you may be deaf, but you've seen what God's done in your life. You know what God's done in your life. All I'm asking you to do is testify it to your pagan nations when you you get the chance. See? Now, among the nations, Israel, you will be my witnesses. That is an awesome privilege to be a light unto the Gentiles. That's an incredible thing, right, to, to, you know, talk about God among the nations. The problem is it, it, it didn't really ever happen. At least not to the degree this is talking about. So much so that at the end of the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 66, at the end, poor Isaiah is left going, well, I mean, when they got to come back from exile, they just sort of went back to Jerusalem. Here's this promise. You're going to be my witnesses. But it never materialized. So Isaiah looks into the future. And he says, there's coming a day. God touches Isaiah. And in the very last 
chapter of the book of Isaiah, he says, there's coming a day when you'll not just be my witnesses in Jerusalem, but like you, they will, the Bible says, they will declare my glory among the nations. The Gentiles will be gathered up and brought to the holy city and offered as an offering. There's all this talk that the witnesses are going to go out into the nations. And it didn't happen. It didn't happen in 539 BC when the exiles got to return. It didn't happen when Nehemiah rebuilt the wall, as valuable as that was. It didn't happen when Ezra came and rebuilt the temple. It didn't even happen when uh, uh, Jesus came came and started his earthly ministry. It didn't happen at his crucifixion. They're still in Jerusalem. It didn't happen at his resurrection. But then, just before his ascension, turn to the New Testament. Look at Acts chapter 1. I want you to see this. Pick up the action in verse 4. In Acts chapter 1, think about it. Jesus has risen from the dead. He has now appeared to the apostles, spoken to them for 40 days. And now, right before his ascension, Look at verse 4. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You see, still haven't really left Jerusalem, but there's this promise. Everybody's wondering, when are we going to get this show on the road? In fact, the disciples wonder, maybe, maybe that, that promise in Isaiah, maybe we can just skip ahead to everything and you just start the new heaven, new earth right now. So they ask him, verse 6, when they come together, they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he responds, and, and, and this, is, this is also a good word for us today. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, when is Jesus coming back to establish his kingdom forever? We, not for us to know. That's for the Father to know. He's got that in his mind. That's been fixed by his own authority. Fine. But in the meantime, we have, and here are the last words spoken by Jesus before his ascension. Right? So uh, while, while he was still on his first coming, this is it. These are the last words. And here's what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So wait here in Jerusalem, and you will receive power. Not you might receive power, or perhaps you could receive power. No, no, no. You will receive power, and wait for it. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In my opinion... Jesus, in Acts 1-8, and this is a popular verse, many Christians know it, when Jesus looks at those disciples after his resurrection, before he ascends, and says, you will be my witnesses, I believe Jesus, in Acts 1-8, is quoting Isaiah 43. He's quoting this ancient prophecy, and the prophecy in Isaiah, one day you will be my witnesses. One day, not just here in Jerusalem, you will be my witnesses, Jesus says, and now that day begins. Prophecy made in Isaiah 66, prophecy fulfilled in Acts 1. You are my witnesses. Why do I say that? Because he uses it the same way. Just like God in ancient Israel looked at the Israelites and he said, hey, they're talking trash about me out there. They're saying I can't save. They're saying I can't deliver. You're my proof. You're my witnesses. Tell them what you saw and what you heard. Let's, let's dispel all that nonsense and get the truth out there. In the same way, Jesus is telling us, his followers, hey, they're going to say, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. You will be my witnesses. There is a lost world, church, that's looking, going, 
how do you know he didn't really rise from the dead? You say, he lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me. He talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. He's alive. I've seen it. I know it. You will be my witnesses. When I say, you know, I don't know. I got these struggles. I got I struggles. I got these anxieties. God can't deliver. You can say, let me tell you what I've seen and heard. Let me tell you my story, right? There's no hope for some people. People never change. Oh, whoa, whoa. You will be my witnesses. You step in. You say, oh, no, 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 no. God can't heal. There's no hope. There is hope. I'm a witness. You're a witness. Do you understand? That's what he meant when he said, you will be my witnesses. Notice carefully. He does not say, you might be my witnesses. He doesn't say, some of you will be my witnesses. He doesn't say, if you try really hard, you could be my witness. He doesn't say, you know, with, with, with sufficient training and a little self-improvement, you might could one day be my witnesses. No, you are his witnesses. Some people, when they hear witnessing, they think do witnessing. Go, I got to go out and do witnessing. I have to witness as a verb. Before it's a verb, it's a noun. You are a witness. Listen carefully. If you are born again, if you are a Christian, you are a witness. You might be pleading the Fifth Amendment. You might be silent right now. You might be witness intimidated, tampering, witness intimidation. You might be bought off. You might be bribed. We'll talk about that. You might be bearing false witness. But you make no mistake, you are his witness. You're it. In fact, I would go so far as to say that every member is a witness. That'd be a great title for like a sermon in the midst of a series where every, and it is, (laughs) every member of Witness. You are a witness. People say, people say well, I, you know, before I can become a witness, I need some witness training. Okay, done. You are his witness. You're done. Your training's over. Now, once you know you're a witness, I'm kidding. Of course, you, you can go and get more training. You can always learn. But you make no mistake, you are a witness. I was watching one sermon where the guy was preaching on, on witnessing. And at the end of the sermon, he, um, of course, this is pre-COVID when you could do this, but he, he had the ushers pass out to every member of the audience a lead fishing weight. It's this little lead fishing weight, and it started going down the aisle, and everybody had one. And I'm sitting there watching this going, how cliche, you know. Get it? We're fishers of men, so he's passing out a lead fishing weight. Oh, the joke was on me. I wasn't prepared for this curveball. He said, everybody got your lead fishing weight? Yep. Everybody wants you to hold it up. Yeah. He says, some of you have said, well, I only witness if I feel lead. Well, put that in your pocket, put that in your purse, and every time you wonder, should I witness? Go ahead and feel lead, and yes, the answer is yes. You've now all felt lead. Witness, drops the mic, walks off. It was epic. He's right. You are a witness. You could be silent. You could be intimidated. But make no mistake, you are, you are God's witness. When the world wants to know, can he save? Can he deliver? Is he good? Does he provide? Is he worthy? You're my witnesses. So let's apply this. Let's wrap this up with just, just several points about witnesses. I don't think they're very complicated. 
But if you want to jot these down, here's the first. We got to know, what does it mean to be a witness? Since you are one, it would be helpful to know, Christian, what a witness is. Let's start with this. A witness is someone who accurately tells what they've seen and heard. Fair enough? A witness is someone who recounts, right, who, who tells what they saw, what they heard. Seen and heard. Seen and heard is a, a phrase that appears over and over in the New Testament, and it's used a lot of bearing witness, of testimony, testifying, right? Um, uh, you know, one of the, uh, you, you're, so, so you're part of a great cloud of witnesses. One of the most striking examples of a witness, a person in the New Testament who calls himself a witness, Jesus. Jesus says in John 3 that, you know, the one from above is from above. I'm, I'm the one from above and, and the one, you know, down there below. But look at, look, at that, look at that verse 32. Jesus, talking about himself, the one from above, bears witness to what he has seen and heard. That makes total sense. Jesus tells what he saw the Father do and what he heard the Father say. One of the most famous witnesses we learn about even as little children were the shepherds. Remember the shepherds in Luke 2? After they had had the royal announcement, they glorifying and praising God for all they had seen, well, heard and seen, right? As it had been told them. In Luke 7, John the Baptist is all depressed and in prison, and he's starting to wonder, did I, did I miss something? Like, was Jesus, maybe Jesus is not the one. Maybe, oh, Man, I hope I didn't mess this up. I had one job to announce the Messiah. And now here I am languishing in prison and he's growing depressed and he's losing his faith. So he sends out his friends to go check on Jesus and, and ask him, straight up ask him, like, are, are you the one? And as they're going out there, they're about to ask Jesus this question, but they can't. They can't get to him because he's in the middle of a miracle session. So he's like the blind are now suddenly able to see for the first time. And while they're rejoicing, the, the, the lame can walk and the deaf can hear. And, he's a, and he goes up to a graveyard, goes up to a coffin. Apparently the dead are about to be raised. And, and right before he raises the dead, I imagine, he looks at me and says, I'm sorry, boys, you, you, you said you had a question? They're like, nah, we're good. <laughs> no, 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 ask your question. Well, it seems silly now. <laughs> But we were like wondering if you really were the one from God. Yeah, I know. I don't even know why. <laughs> and what does John say? Does John get mad? I mean, what does Jesus say? Does he get mad at John the Baptist? Does he condemn him? No, no, no. He's so tender. He just says this. Go be a witness. He says, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. You go tell him the blind can see, the lame can walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf can hear, the dead are raised, the good and the poor have the good news preached to them. You just go and tell what you've seen and heard. The list could go on and on. We'll do one more. I, I may have others on the slides, but we'll just, we'll just do one more. You, you're getting the point. My favorite is the apostles who are now sent out as witnesses. Um, they heal a man, and then they begin preaching. This man was healed in the name of Jesus, and that gets them talking about Jesus. Jesus, the one that you all rejected and crucified, he's the one from God. He's the Messiah, and he came to save. Well, he, they get in big trouble. Not for the healing so much, but for the preaching about Jesus, that he's the only way. And so the religious leaders call them together, and in Acts chapter 4, uh, uh, they basically say, you have got to stop preaching about Jesus. And they say, oh, well, whether we're supposed to listen to you or God, judge that for yourself. But as for us, we cannot help it. We cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. That's all a witness does. That's all a witness does. I heard, uh, you know, these stories over and over again. We saw, we heard, we're telling. 
Now, you may pause and you may say, well, preacher, that's it. That, that's the difference, see. All these people you just mentioned, they got to see Jesus physically. They got to hear his words. I've never seen him in the natural. I've never seen him physically and heard his voice. Oh, that may be true, but you've seen what he's done in your life, haven't you? You heard him call you out of darkness, haven't you? Well, has, he do, has, he, has he protected your family? Has he done any miracles? Has he done anything in your life? Tell accurately what you've seen and heard. I heard, uh, I heard Robert Morris give a great illustration about this. He says, say, say after church, you walk out of a, you go to a restaurant and then, uh, sorry, after Sunday school, you go out to eat and uh, as you're leaving the restaurant, you're there at an intersection, red light, right? And sure enough, you hear the screeching of the tires and the smashing of metal and the horns and the glass and there's a, a car accident. And you, you saw, you happened to be there, you saw the whole thing. You saw who had the green light, who had the red. You couldn't believe this person was still going and all. Oh, they ran right through it and sure enough there was this accident and the ambulance comes and the cops and everything gets cleaned up and thank goodness no one is hurt. And, uh, but there's a dispute about the facts. They both think they had the green light and, 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 and nobody can figure out how they're going to sort this out. And so uh, the policeman walks up and down the street and asks what? Did anybody see what happened? So you, you raise your hand. Yeah, I, I saw the whole thing. Okay, we're good. Then we're going to need you to serve as a witness. What does he mean by that? What do they mean? Does that mean that they want you to now go enroll in automotive school so you know the inner workings of how automobiles work before they collide? Does he mean you need to now go get a degree in advanced physics so that force equals mass times acceleration? You know all the inner workings of how that thing transacted. Is that, is that what he wants you? No. Does he mean he wants you to be a judge over that whole situation? Sit in judgment. Oh, I can't believe that car would do that. No. Does he want you to prosecute one side or the other? No. What's he want you to do? He wants you to tell what you saw, and what you heard. But what if, between the day you saw that and the day you were called upon to testify, what if you heard about other car crashes and they were more dramatic than yours? And you started to think, my car crash really wasn't that big a deal. No one was even hurt. It's not very dramatic. In fact, maybe I don't even have a testimony worth sharing. So here's what I'm going to do. Because my testimony is not very dramatic, all I can do is just tell what I saw and heard, and really it's not very much. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to add some flair to my story, and I'm going to jazz it up a little bit. Yes, in my story, uh, there's going to be helicopters and like missiles, you know, and a conspiracy theory, and it's going to be great. I'm going to add all that. Is that what you are being asked to do? In fact, you realize how that would, that would ruin it, right? No, 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 no. There's no need to be impressive. There's no need to add. Yes, you have a testimony. In this case, tell what you saw and what you heard. Listen, to everybody who's ever said, I, you know, I don't, have, I don't have a very good testimony or I don't really have much of a testimony, you've got to hear me. Your job is not to invent an impressive testimony. Your testimony is what it is. It, it, so tell what you saw and what you heard. Two things are wrong with that. One is, unfortunately, can we undo this mistake right here, right now, forever? Let's correct it and never go back. We all need to understand, if you grew up in church, you're, 
often we're guilty of a vocabulary, we're misunderstanding a word. We think of testimony, we narrowly define it, way too narrowly. And we define testimony as only what happened before you got saved. And your testimony is only what happened that you went from not saved to saved. Can we just all agree that's wrong and false? Your testimony is what God did today. It's what he did then, yes, but it's what he did today. And that, I think, helps out a lot of people because they go, well, I don't have a very big testimony. Well, of course, if all you know of his testimonies before what happened when you got saved, we would all feel that. You're in a church service and somebody gets up and they give some testimony how they got saved later in life and they went down every dark, blind alley and they were in uh, all, all this unrighteousness and it just the story gets worse and worse and then they say, but God radically delivered them and we all praise God and we go, what a testimony. But like, if your testimony is only what you did before you got saved and you got saved when you were eight, I'm sorry, you only have seven years of testimony. Some of it you probably can't remember at all. Like, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, man, I was, whew, I was rough in daycare. And uh, I remember dealing heroin. Uh, I, I, I killed a man in prison, but then I got saved at nine, and that all changed, you know, and I got, I'm like, what kind of kid is this? Right? But your testimony is not limited to those years before you became saved, especially if you grew up in church. That makes no sense. Your testimony is how he provided for you today. What did you see him do today? What did you see him do last week? Is he excellent? Did he call you out of darkness into marvelous light? That's your testimony. Tell somebody. The other great error in that line of thinking, uh, I think, is um, don't be so quick to say your testimony is not dramatic. Because a rescue is a rescue. And I'll press on that a little bit. Somebody who goes down every, you know, the prodigal son, you know what I'm saying? They go down every dark alley, and then later in life, they're saved out of unrighteousness. But if you were a church kid like me, if you were saved at a young age, you were saved 8, 9, 10 years old, let me talk to you for just a second. Do you realize what a miracle of God that is? Because you were on a whole different path, and it's a scary path. You were, gonna, you were on your way. You were bound for hell as a legalistic Pharisee church kid who was going to grow up to be a legalistic, pharisaical church adult, and you were going to split hell wide open and the whole time think you were just fine and you were inoculated because, huh, I grew up in church. Oh, but he, oh, but God. God convicted you of your sin. Though you were very young, he convicted you of your sin, and he awoke you to the fact that that's not the path I need to go on, and just being in church doesn't save me. And he saved you, even you, a church kid, got saved. That's darkness to light. Tell me that's not dramatic. Because to save somebody out of unrighteousness seems dramatic. But I submit to you that to save somebody out of self-righteousness is every bit as much a miracle of his grace. You see? Don't say you don't have a testimony. Don't say it's not dramatic. Just tell the truth, man. Be a witness. What's he done? What's he saying to you? Tell. Well, but it's hard. I, I get it. And, and, and that doesn't mean that telling the truth is easy. And for that, I'd like to give you this encouragement. A couple warnings. We'll be done. The encouragement is this. Remember this. This is point number two. A witness is not on trial. Please keep in mind, <laughs> a witness is not on trial. I know it can feel that way. And you feel all this pressure. 
Um, but a, a witness is not on trial. A witness really just has to do what 1 Peter 2.9 says. A witness is not on trial. Hey, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now, here's what you do. Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Just talk about his excellencies. Talk about how good he is. Talk about how he called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Follow me here. If that's true, then they may reject or they may accept, but you're not on trial. You're not a, there's no need to fear. Because you're not on trial, there's no need to fear. They may reject your testimony, but that's between them and the Lord. You just bear faith, faithful witness. A witness is not on trial, so there's no need to argue. That's some people say, well, I don't want to witness because I don't want to get in an argument. There's no need to argue. You tell your story. If they don't listen and they force you to be quiet, then that, that, that's okay. All right, now you will be okay. I, th this is between them and the Lord. There's no need to be, let me put it this way. There's no need for belligerence. There's no need to be defensive. That's what I'm trying to say. There's no need to be defensive. You don't have to be defensive. Why? You're not on trial. I see these people, sometimes they, they these people that call themselves Christians that take to social media and they get so defensive. I'm always going, who are you defending? God? He's good. Who's ever heard of defending a lion? Just uncage him. Let him go. You know, it's, it's, there's no need to be defensive. Just tell the excellencies. Listen, rejection is just part of the game. Jesus said, they're going to, hey, they rejected me, they'll reject you. Uh, Matthew 10, he says, when you go, if they don't receive you, shake the dust off your boots, move on. Others will receive you. That's part of it. Somebody else, they'll be, you know, I'll, I'll deal with them. That's okay. There's no need to be defensive. Who are you defending? I know I pick on social media a lot. Let me say a good word for social media. On the other hand, I think a great use is from time to time when, 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 <laughs> when you feel led, uh, from time to time it could be that God touches your heart with a particular scripture verse that really touches you and out of the overflow of something he did in your life, you share that on social media and you give God the glory. You know what you're doing? You're proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I think that's a great use. Uh, uh, put more, we need more positive in, injected into the, into the world that way. And then I would put, since they're not on trial, there's no need to be impressive. And this just goes back to what I say. Don't, don't think for a minute that your testimony is not, you know, your testimony is second class because you, you don't think it's impressive. It doesn't have to be impressive. It has to meet the need of the facts of that particular case. And the person you're talking to, your story may be the very thing that brings them to faith in Christ. So just tell the truth. Just tell the truth. In fact, this is so important. God put it in the Ten Commandments. Number nine, remember this? A, a witness can lie. Third point, a witness can lie. This is a warning. Um, in Exodus 20, verse 16, God tells his people, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. What do I mean by that? If you are silent about Jesus Christ when you know you should have spoken up, you are bearing false witness. If you go back to living in darkness with no intent to change or repent, you are, you are bearing false witness. Why? You're living a lie. And who's going to suffer? It's against your neighbor. Those that are listening in, those that want to know, is God real? Can he save? Is there any hope? You've got a chance to tell the truth or bear false witness because you are a witness. All right, last thing. And this is a warning, I guess. I... The fact is, a witness, to this day, can be silenced, intimidated, or bought off. A witness, they call it witness tampering. A witness can be silenced, intimidated, or bought off. One of my favorite gangster movies 
of all time is 1989, starring Kevin Costner and like Sean Connery and Andy Garcia had this all-star cast. It's called The Untouchables. And it's based on a true story of Elliot Ness and his group was called The Untouchables. And uh, uh, they were trying to bring down Al Capone, the crime boss in Chicago. Uh, Capone, bloodshed everywhere. Capone was a domestic terrorist. <clears throat> the problem is, because we operate in this court of law, and, and that's good, um, because of the legal system, th- there has to be evidence. You can't just say, everybody knows this guy's evil and wicked and needs to go away. You need that evidence. And they would have these eyewitnesses, and here's the deal. The, the guy would walk, trial after trial, Capone would get off. Why? Uh, because it seems these witnesses would clam up. And we all know why. The witness would be bought off, they'd be bribed, or more likely, they'd be threatened. They'd be intimidated. And the climactic scene of the movie, they got one star witness who's finally going to put Capone away forever. They got him dead to rights. And so because it's, they know that the Capone is out there tampering with these witnesses, they keep him in the police precinct until the trial. But because Capone had some of the cops, were, they were dirty, they, he, they were on his payroll, uh, he's murdered in the police precinct before he can testify. Capone walks again. And all these lives are destroyed because they can't get a witness to tell the truth. Can I submit to you the ultimate example of witness tampering? Is when that old prosecuting attorney, that old, that old evil one, Satan, if he can get Christians intimidated, coerced, or bought off to be silent about Jesus Christ. It is, listen to me, it is the ultimate witness tampering. You got your lost friends like a jury. They're waiting to hear. They're leaning in. They're begging. They got all these lies everywhere. Is there anyone who'll stand and deliver? No, I better, I better keep quiet. I mean, they would go around. They would show pictures. They would say, Capone is terrorizing your neighborhood. Will anyone in this neighborhood stand up? I didn't see nothing. Why? Fear. Now listen, in 2021, Alabama... There are parts of the world where physical coercion and force is still very much a tactic of the enemy to get these witnesses to be silent. He can't make them not witnesses. Jesus says you are a witness, so he can just intimidate and make silence. There are many examples, Voice of the Martyrs, you can go Google, the persecuted church. I I think, and it's over a decade and a half old, but I think of Abdul Rahman, our brother Abdul Rahman in Afghanistan. He became a Christian. He converted from Islam to Christianity. It's not illegal in Afghanistan to be a Christian. It's illegal to convert from Islam to Christianity, and that's what he did. And he was put in prison and was on death row and and probably would have been murdered, executed, uh, uh, but for the uproar uh, there was... Worldwide attention and human rights brought to this particular case. But his family's pleading with him. Everybody's pleading with him. Abdul, just like take the fifth, you know. Just, just go along with the flow. Just chill out. Just say nothing. He was being intimidated, wasn't he? And there's these pictures of him holding a Bible in Arabic, you know. I will not deny. If I have to die, I will not deny. I always wonder how many lives were saved for eternity. Because these people saw a witness they could not. They couldn't silence. Well, here in North Alabama, I don't think you'll be coerced physically. I don't think you'll be threatened physically. I don't think Satan's primary witness intimidation tactic is intimidation and force. Here, it's bribery. Here, he just buys witnesses off. High schoolers, right now, Satan's reminding you. He's tempting you. Hey, if they find out in your school what you really believe about Jesus Christ... Oh, you really believe the Bible? You really believe Jesus is the only way to God the Father? You really think there's like a hell? Like for real? And people who deny Jesus go there? That's really how you feel. 
that is so narrow and intolerant and gross. And like, you're going you're gonna to lose social status and social position. And social status and position, they're valuable. But if they're more valuable than your witness to Jesus Christ, you've just been bought off. You don't outgrow that when you leave high school, do you? And people are, you know, Satan's going to try to remind you, you'll lose status, you'll lose position, you'll lose, you'll lose money. You start getting fanatical about this Jesus thing, you're going to go down in status and position, you might lose relationships, you, like, you might lose money, and all those things are valuable, but if they're more valuable than Jesus, let me say it this way, whatever you will stop talking honestly about Jesus, whatever the cost at which you will no longer be a witness to Jesus Christ, that is the exact price with which Satan has bought you off. And you've sold out. Still going on. Oh, we need a witness who will not be silenced, not be intimidated, not be bought off. Now, if you're like me, uh, the problem with this message is if you're like me, when you come to the end of a message like this, you think, oh, preacher. I know, I know, but if I'm honest, I ju- I'm so awkward and I just can't do it and, and I'm just filled with guilt. Basically, the primary emotion when I leave a church service about witnessing is guilt. <laughs> just tons and tons of guilt. And now I've always been guilty about witnesses, but I also realize I've been bought off by Satan. <sighs> is there any hope for me? Is there any hope? Come here. (laughs) Let's do this again. You don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to walk in condemnation. Why? Here's who you are. Listen to me. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for his own possession. Okay, that's who you are. So proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Just proclaim his excellencies. That cannot come from a place of guilt. That can only come from a place of goodness. The goodness of God. The excellencies of God. And it is not accidental. Of all the New Testament verses I could have picked about witnessing, it is not a coincidence. I picked the one written by a man named Peter. So however much you think you've messed up in witnessing, And however bad you think you are as a witness. Do you know where I'm going with this? The all-time witnessing fail. The gold medal for biggest failure of a witness in all time, it will never be broken, goes to one Apostle Peter. Do you remember the story? He's got a chance to stand and deliver and be crucified with Jesus. Jesus just needs one friend to stand with him. And in that moment, when when Jesus needed one friend, Peter instead denies him three times, adding for good measure a curse. May the wrath of God fall on me. I swear I'm not lying. I never knew Jesus. Just in time for Jesus to turn and face him in that very moment. Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. And there, in that moment, he captured the gold medal for the worst witnessing failure of all time in the history of witnessing. I don't care how bad it's gone for you. It didn't go that bad. And yet, the same one, he writes this years later. You're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, holy nation, people own possession, that, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. I realized 
I was filled with power from the I was filled with power from the Holy Spirit. It's not about me, it's about him. And and y'all, Jesus looked at me. I'm the biggest witnessing failure of all time. I'm Peter. And he looked at me, I'll never forget it, just before he ascended. And he said, You will be my witnesses. He could have said, you really messed up at being witnessing, but he didn't. He looked at me, and he looked into my future, and he said, you will be my witnesses. I felt his grace, and now I just want to proclaim his excellencies. In fact, part of Peter's testimony is how bad he is at giving his testimony. Maybe that can be your testimony this week. Hey, my preacher preached this week on witnessing, and I am awful at it. Here's ten ways I did it wrong. Does that help you? (laughs) Well, I, you know, <laughs> yeah, the reason I told you that is it seems to me um, it's just not about me, and it's not about my ability. It's just, he's just that good to me. He's good to use even somebody like me to talk to somebody like you today. See, even the failures, it, tell what you saw, what you heard. Brandon's going to come and lead us in a time of response, and I'm going to do the invitation just a little bit different today. I'm going to challenge you. Uh, to ask, basically I'm going to challenge you to ask God to send you somebody to witness to this week. Uh, because you are a witness, I should say somebody that you can tell the truth. But uh, it occurs to me, I'm, I'm kind of ambivalent on this point. I, I make the point in the sermon that a witness is not on trial. But it struck me that like, having said that, there is a sense in which one day you will be. I mean, every one of you, me too. You gotta stand before God. And buddy, in that moment, when you stand before God, and he says, why should, I let, why, why should this person be let into heaven? Whoo, you know what you're gonna need? You're gonna need a witness. You're gonna need a witness that is faithful and true and can't be bought off or intimidated. Because you're looking around going, well, honestly, if it were up to me, I don't see a lot of righteousness in my life. And you're gonna need, and I'm gonna need, One thing I'm going to need, my faithful and true witness to take the stand, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to need him to say what he saw and what he heard. I saw him drowning in sin. I saw her crying out. I heard his plea for mercy. I knew she needed rescue. And I saw the nails being driven into my hands. And I heard the ring of the hammer. And I saw what the enemy wanted to happen that day. And the enemy even tried to intimidate me. He tried to intimidate me all the way to death. I saw it all. I saw the grave. But I saw through to the other side. And with resurrection power, on the third day, I burst forth. And this one's with me. When I arrested death, he's one of the ones I took with me. I got him. He's mine. Do you have any other evidence? Yeah? Nail scars, case closed, case closed. Names written in the book, tell what you saw and heard. Jesus saw it, he heard it, and he stood for my defense. We'll stand for your defense, we'll stand for mine. Oh, he's a faithful witness. Don't you want to tell somebody that or any part of that that he's done for you this week? If you do, I'm going to do the invitation a little different. I got this prayer that I wrote. The reason I want you to ponder before you want to, I'm going to ask you to pray it if you're willing. But the danger here is that he'll probably answer this prayer. Here's what it says. Dear Lord, I am your witness. I have seen and heard your excellencies. 
Will you create a moment this week for me to report to someone what I've seen and heard? Amen. In other words, if, if you send me somebody, I'll tell them the truth. Uh, if he doesn't, he has his reasons, but we all know he's, he's totally going to say yes to that, won't he? Right? That's why it's a bold prayer. Um, you don't have to pray it, but I believe if you are a Christian, you should pray it. It would be a step of faith, uh, but I want you to consider because what you're asking is between now, 1042 on Sunday morning, March 7th, and 1042 March 14th, between those sets of 24 hours, at some point, I don't know if it'll come, I'd be interesting to see if it comes for you on a text or if it comes through, like how it's going to happen, but in the next seven days, you're asking God, will you create that moment? And when that moment comes, I'll tell the truth. I'll bear faithful witness. I won't be bought off. I won't be intimidated. Give me the grace to do that. That's what, I, that's what I'm asking you to pray. I'll pray uh, if you're willing. I'll give you a moment to ponder, but that's the invitation. If you're willing to pray that, I'll lead you through it. And we'll do the thing where, like, I say a little bit of the phrase, and then you repeat after me if you want to pray this prayer. So bow your head. Close your eyes. I would think that uh, you would need to say this out loud. You don't have to yell it or anything, but I, I do think that uh, at least whispering it or speaking it would be of, of greater benefit to you. So for those that are praying it, here we go. Dear Lord. Dear Lord, I am your witness. I am your witness. I have seen and heard your excellencies. I have seen and heard your excellencies. Will you create a moment this week? Will you create a moment this week for me to report to someone, for me to report to someone what I have seen and heard, what I have seen and heard? Amen.